0: What most of us think of grief is that it is this intense sorrow that is caused or you know these painful and negative emotions that we feel after the death of a loved one which is true but I like to believe and I'm sure most of you will agree with me as well that grieving is not only limited to the loss of a loved one but one could also grieve when they lose a friendship with someone or you know they go through a breakup in a romantic relationship and many other instances. We live in a world where grieving is only validated during the death of a loved one. We often tend to overshadow and invalidate the feelings of those that grieve for reasons otherwise. You know, our culture always places pedestals for everything, be it for professions or for emotions. They always believe there's a hierarchy. Which is one of the main reasons why I believe that a lot of people in our country suppress their emotions, you know. Because society labels only the display of some emotions as valid. Grieving is a process and I believe there's no specific time limit for a person grieving. Some people can carry it right from their childhood up to their adult life. It's more about learning to grow around your grief rather than learning to get over it or forget about it. On this episode of Yours Mentally, we talk about the stages of grief during the death of a loved one. This episode is in conversation with Dr. Ruhi Satija, who is a consultant psychiatrist and a counselling therapist. So without further ado, let's get right into the episode. So on today's episode where we talk about stages of grief during the death of a loved one, Ruhi, when we know someone who is grieving, we often tell them that the deceived person is probably in a better place. Do you think we're inculcating toxic positivity by saying this?
1: Uh, Well, I think it's a beautiful question. When somebody has passed on and then we say that they have gone to a better place, I think that's a way of coping in itself. Nobody knows what happens when someone dies. Nobody knows what is the story after that. So this is something that has been brought up through generations and the cultural sensitivity that we have. For adults, I think the best way to start with this, just showing them that you are there. Maybe there is no need of saying anything. Maybe there is no need of any conversation. Just being there and letting them know that you are available if they want to talk about it. I think is a good start but with children I think the statement is a good option because kids do not understand how life works as yet plus they have very strong imagination so using this statement to tell them so that they are you know not feeling too overwhelmed or sometimes they have these feelings of guilt and sometimes they feel that they are responsible for what is happening around them so to prevent that i think this is a good statement so that they do not have a lot of negativity attached to the incident so I feel that it's subjective. Everybody grieves in a different way. Everybody has their own way of expressing and feeling what is happening around them. So, it is a good start. Yes, it can radiate to toxic positivity. So, don't overdo it. But yes, I do not say that this is utmost wrong in its own right.
0: Right. So, Ruhi, what exactly does grief look like on a person?
1: So... Whenever we have a sense of loss in the life, whether it is, you know, somebody's death, whether it's an end of a relationship, divorces, there are various reactions that we go. So the main thing, the three terms that we use are loss, grief and bereavement. Although we use it interchangeably, but they are very, very different things. Losses can be of something, something temporary. It doesn't necessarily have to be associated with, associated with death of somebody. Grief is essentially to a permanent loss. So either a relationship ending, maybe a divorce, or somebody dying is what grief entails. And the process is very different in every person. This also depends on the age group. It also depends on the cultural and socioeconomic background. So in adults, it can look like, you know, the feeling of, abandonment it can be sadness it can be a feeling of depression feeling some people also become resilient and recover really fast I will talk about the different trajectories somebody can have but these are the common reactions that initially you know we go through different stages so Kubler Ross has given five stages of grief initially we start with denial so when this happens and if it is a sudden death the initial reaction is always denial that you know this can't happen or it shouldn't have happened something like that. Which leads to anger, we are angry with the reality because this is not something desirable in any form, Mm -hmm. then we bargain, you know, we try to say that I would do this, maybe get the person back or we try to cling on to things of that person, which would make sure that the person stays in the life, you're not, you know, ready to let go. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we can have depression. Now, the stage is called depression, but it does not mean the clinical depression we have. We do not have all the symptoms of clinical depression, but definitely we see some of the signs of it. For example, a sense of loss, sadness, there is apathy, there is lack of motivation, lack of concentration. Some people also complain of, you know, sleeping disturbance and being lonely. These are the common feelings that they express, especially in the adults. And the last stage is acceptance. When we realize that, all right, there is nothing much that we can do. Now, having said that, it looks very simplified, but every person will take a different time span and a different way to each stage. So it's not necessary that all of them will just take you to, you know, like say, for example, in a month we'll go through all this process. Some people take a few weeks, some people need a few months, some people can't even get over that for years. So Mm. everybody will react very, very differently. And in children, again, we have a whole different spectrum of symptoms that we see according to the age, which Mm. we can talk about separately.
0: So what are the few things we should say or do for someone who is grieving?
1: Right. So the best thing to do would be not say anything, but be there for the person. See... Mm. No matter what we say, it is not going to change the reality. But just being there and letting the person know that when if they need and when they need, you are there to talk. Just be there is more than enough. Do not try to, you know, like in the first question we talked about toxic positivity, that they are at a better place. It's good for them. It's not a vital thing to do in that moment. Just listen more nod a lot, agree with what they are saying. If you see that they are having some adverse reactions, if they are having some difficult conversations, try to be a part of it and try to bring them on track. If you feel that, you know, they are sometimes losing touch with reality. Like I mentioned, some people will express a lot of guilt. Some people will uh, express a lot of remorse around it that, you know, especially in the COVID times, we saw this a lot that family members always kept on wondering what I could have done differently or maybe I should have done something differently. Mm. Although, it, even if it is true, it's not helpful. So anything that is not helpful should be avoided. All we have to do is make sure that the person gets that outlet to vent out and be there for that person. And if you feel that this is beyond your capacity to help, involving a professional is a very good idea.
0: Yeah, I also feel like sometimes when someone is grieving, like you said, you know, we should just be them for them. I don't think it's right. Like I, I, I get that it's human nature to sort of give advice every time. But yes. I think sometimes we should just be there. Like, you know, just listen to them. Not yes. necessarily, we don't need to go out of our, out of our way and give them yeah. solutions to the problem because some problems don't have solutions. I think True. people need to understand that. That you know,
1: yeah.
0: every time you don't need to hop on, uh, you know, and be like, you should do this so you'll feel better. You should uh, try to be, yeah. you know, you should try to do more things so you're distracted and you don't think about certain things. But I think what they do need to understand is that to get over something, you do need to go through it, right? You know, you can't yes. avoid it
1: yeah avoidance will only lead to suppression and regression that is not going to help and another thing that people do is you know try to make them see the positives and you will say they'll say that you know at least you are healthy at least this is saved etc that also is not going to help because that will only remind them more and more and sometimes people have survival guilt as well especially in covid times that you know I got covid and I actually had a patient who got covid first and then the mother got infected and the mother unfortunately passed away and she was in Severe depression because she was not able to come out of this guilt that I got COVID first and I am alive and why is my mom gone right Mm -hmm. so this is not you know you cannot tell her that it's good at least you are alive because she's not happy about it she cannot be happy about it so we can't keep comparison and we can't keep on giving them examples that how their life is still good Yes, mm-hmm. you can tell them that ha- they have to move on, no matter how and no matter what, and you will be there to help them. But do not tell them that they have to do it right away and they have to, you know, just dump their feelings and get over it.
0: So when someone dies, we often like to keep belongings. So we feel like we have a part of them with us. Some people also visit their loved ones' graves. At what point do you think these practices are healthy?
1: Right. So like I said, there are very different, you know, perspectives in different cultures. For example, in Hinduism, the belongings are actually let go for having that outlet of, you know, finishing a chapter in your life. Whereas in different cultures, we have this burial systems where we save the body and we try to keep it as a part of our lives. So we cannot say which one is right and which one is wrong because the way we have been brought up is the way we are going to see the process. Right. Mm -hmm. In most of the cultures, death is actually celebrated as well. It is seen as, you know, passage to a better place like we talked about or a passage to the next chapter of life. Death is taken as a part of life, especially in the Hinduism as well. So there is nothing wrong with that. But having said that, if you feel that these belongings are not letting you move on, then Mm -hmm. it becomes a problem. Right. So if you feel that and in fact, somebody it has, even if you talk about biologically, we have done some studies which shows that somebody who has had a loss in the last five years, actually their anterior cingulate cortex and orbitofrontal cortex, which are basically related to the memory and emotions, they're hyperactive. So what that does is it actually leads to free recall. Free recall means you're not even seeing anything about it, but suddenly, you know, you're reminded of them or something will trigger it and all the memories start flowing back. That itself is a natural process that is going on. On top of that, if you have some, you know, keepsakes of those people, that is going to increase the process. But... If it brings some happy memories to you, if it brings some happy incidents to your recall, then it's okay. But if it is holding you on, maybe, you know, you need to reconsider. You do not need to dump them away. Many people, we suggest that, you know, maybe you can donate it to somebody. or Maybe you can, you know, give it to a place where it can be utilized in a better way, which actually gives you a sense of satisfaction that it it didn't go, you know, just haywire anywhere. It actually went to a place where it is appreciated. And I think that's a good way to go about it.
0: Right. So, Ruhi, we've been speaking about grieving all this while, you know. Can you sort of elaborate on how children grieve?
1: right it's a wonderful question and it's a very relevant question in today's time because unfortunately we have all been through something in our lives most of the children have seen either some uh, sense of death in their own families or they have heard about it happening in their friends right in their Mm -hmm. friend's family so this is very important to understand that the way the adults process death is not the same as the children are going to process it their processing system is very different their belief system is very different and understanding of the Concept is also different depending on the age they are in. So, even you know, the UNICEF did a lot of studies and gave their official report where they said that, for example, if we talk about less than two years to five years of age, those kids do not have a concept of death as being a permanent thing, right? They do not understand that if somebody has died, they are not going to come back. So, we often see that these children will keep on asking that when the person will come back, if they are coming back, where they have gone you will see that they try to cling on to their caregivers. So, for example, if one person is alive, whom they're attached to, they'll try to be more and more with them for security, for the reason that, you know, they're scared that maybe this person will also go away. They have regressive behaviors, which means, for example, somebody was already toilet trained, will start bed again, will start crying again, like, you know, a smaller child, a smaller age group, children. So, these are some of the signs that we see in Mm -hmm. uh, up to the age of you know four and five and mind you that this is very variable it's not necessary that a five-year-old will after you know five-year-old they are not going to be these symptoms it can very well be a bit of adult kids as well Mm -hmm. after the five years age six to eleven if we talk about they understand that this is a permanent situation they understand Mm -hmm. that this is uh, the person might not come up uh, come back so they're worrying and stresses a bit more they worry that the others are also going to die, they will have a lot of questions and more than, you know, clinging behavior, they will be angry. And we see a lot of somatic physical symptoms in them. They'll complain a lot of headaches and, you know, body aches in them because they do not know how to verbally express their emotions. Mm -hmm. So up to the age of 11, these are the, you know, anger and physical symptoms are the most common symptom spectrum that we see. Mm -hmm. Above that, when we talk about teenagers and more than 12 years of age, They understand the concept. They know that the person is gone. They know that the person is not going to come back and this is a permanent situation. They also understand that one person dying does not just mean that everybody else is going to die. But what they understand is a bit of mature complexes, which are either they have anger, they have sadness, Some people strikingly will also show apathy. They will show as if they don't care because that helps them in coming out of it, right? That does Mm -hmm. not mean that they don't care. That simply means that they don't know how to process their emotions, Mm -hmm. Many of these children will also express guilt. They will feel that somewhere they were responsible for it or maybe, you know, they could have done something better or they could have done differently. That Mm -hmm. keeps on holding on. And mind you, especially in this age, it's very difficult to know it because teenagers, you know, are not sometimes very vocal about it or very communicative. And they hold on to that grief even till adulthood. So the complex grief that we see or, you know, the delayed grief or trauma that we see in adulthood starts on that age. So it's very important that in this age group, people are there to support them and talk to them. In younger mm-hmm. kids, all we need is, you know, physical comfort. Just hold them, cuddle them and rock them. Be there physically for them so that their insecurity goes away. But in adulthoods, of course, a teenager is not going to want you to cuddle with them all the time. But... Open communication is important. So you need to be there, but you need to be equally honest. You need to be there to answer all the questions you ha- they can have as honestly as possible and also keeping it simple at the same time. Do not try to, you know, hide things. Do not try to mix it into beautiful words. And also another thing what parents do or the elders do is not express it in front of them, right? That also, I think, is not a very healthy practice. It is okay if you want to cry in front of the child. Make sure they actually are included in the process because then they know that they are not the only one suffering and they are not the only one going through that process. It actually helps them. To cope up with
0: that. right. My next question is, how does grieving differ from person to person?
1: So, see, whenever somebody is grieving, if you talk about, you know, based on the psychological theories, there are four ways, four trajectories, basically, where a person can go, okay, broadly talking. Now, the time duration can be very different, not necessary that one person will do it in a month, or the other person will also take a month. But essentially, there are four pathways where a person can go when they are grieving. The first is resilience. Resilience means yes, they are upset. Yes, for a few days, they will be a bit dysfunctional, they won't be able to do what they were meaning to do. But slowly they are able to use the positive emotions and come out of that phase. That does not mean that they are not sad, but it also means that they are not stuck in life and they are not, you know, clinging on to that emotion any longer. They are able to move on with their life, having all those emotions in their heart, but in a healthy way, as, you know, maybe some good memories or some even moments of sadness. That's completely okay. You don't need to be just happy about it, but it should not be keeping you stuck at, at a phase of life. That's the first path. Mm-hmm. Second is recovery. Recovery means that you take a bit longer. You do it a bit worse than the resilient people. You do become dysfunctional for some time, but slowly you are making some effort and you are able to make some effort to come out of it. The Mm -hmm. third trajectory is where you are chronically dysfunctional. So these people, unfortunately, for weeks, months or even years are just not able to come out of it. Are just not able to do anything. So often, you know, in my therapy sessions, I get these people a lot where they'll come and tell me that, you know, they lost somebody one year, two year, even five years ago, they're just not able to let go of that fact, and they're not able to move on, they're not able to progress. It also reciprocates in different fields of their life. They'll have difficulty maintaining relationships. They'll have abandonment issues. They'll always fear that if I get into some happy space, something bad will happen. You know, we call it that we jinx it that if I'm happy, something bad is bound to go wrong. These are some of the feelings that these people will express and they're just stuck at that phase. The life just doesn't move on. The years have passed, but they haven't. Right? And the last thing is the delayed grief or the trauma. Now, these people are the worst hit. Not just their life doesn't progress, they themselves are just And also, we see a lot of depression, clinical depression, and clinical anxiety in these people, let alone you know being able to function or taking care of anything in their life. They're not even able to sometimes take care of themselves properly. They simply, you know, it's like a full stop on their practical life. So they are living, but inside somewhere, something has died, some you know, life has been dead in their life, and they're just not able to accept it, they're just not able to take even the next step and sometimes you know the resistance is so much that even in therapy they will say that I don't want to move on because they identify with it so much that they don't know who they are if they move on Mm -hmm. and actually they even feel guilty you know if we talk about them you know for example if somebody somebody's parents have unfortunately passed on and we tell them that you need to move on they'll show resistance that How do I let go of my mother or father? How do I let go of that person? Because that was the most important person in my life. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they even lose the will to live. Sometimes, you know, it is so bad that they don't want to do anything with life. That is the chronic, you know, delayed grief reaction that we talked about, which is unhealthy. Sometimes, along with therapy, we even need some antidepressant medications to help these people. But it's a difficult situation to be in, unfortunately. So,
0: how long do you think it's too long to mourn? Like, how long does each of brief last? Because, you know, at least in India, I see this a lot where people are like, oh, you know, it's been two years, why are you still sad about this right. person passing away? It's been three years, four years, whatever. And, you know, they just sort of, they sort of invalidate their emotions and what they right. feel towards the person who has passed. So, how long is it too
1: long? Right. So this question is very subjective. Like I said, that everybody's process of grieving is very different. And also, like we talked about the four trajectories, that the path is very different. So although uh, we do talk about healthy grief and unhealthy grief, so if we have to clinically diagnose, we normally say that, you know, somewhere around six months is a reasonable time to get over it and, you know, move on with your life. Having said that, moving on does not mean you forget about the incident, but definitely it doesn't hold you on and doesn't, uh, you know, make you stuck at the place. But it's not, you know, that six months is the timeline that is fixated. It can be a bit more than that. As long as you're not able to get over it but you are functional in life we can give you some time but if you feel that you are stuck and just not able even you don't need to wait for six months i would suggest that take the help of professional and as soon as possible because the longer you wait the more it becomes resistant to move on right so Six months is ideally that we say, but we don't fixate to that. As long as you're functional, it's okay. If you're dysfunctional, if you're not able to take care of whatever you were supposed to in your life, I think it is the indication better than the timeline to understand that now when you would require some help. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah, so,
0: how, do I, how does one know whether they need to seek professional help after they've lost a the loved one?
1: Right. So the simplest indication would be the same that you are not able to cope up and you're not able to, you know, the daily task. Just start with a simple task in your life, taking care of yourself, maybe taking care of your studies or or your work. Even if you are not very productive, it's okay for now. As long as you can just get by for a few it's okay. But if you feel, you know, sometimes even patients complain that I'm not even able to leave the bed in the morning, I don't even feel like getting up in the morning, then you're moving towards dysfunctional grief or trauma or PTSD or depression. And I would suggest that as soon as you feel that, you know, this is not me, I have tried for a week or two weeks, and this is not happening, I'm not able to cope up with it. Please take care of a professional, please take uh, help from a professional and take care of yourself. Because like I said, the longer we wait, this trauma becomes more resistant to resolve it becomes a part of you and a part of your personality especially when what we see is that it becomes so much a part of their personality that they don't know who they are if they are not grieving they don't if they are not that sad person who got affected by something They identify Mm -hmm. with it so much that they don't know who they are after they let go of this part. So, you know, to prevent that, it is important. And even if, you know, some family member is hearing and they have a young children at home or a youth at home, it's all the more important that even if you feel that they have, you know, resolved the issue it wouldn't hurt if they just go to a counselor for one session and just talk about it so that we are sure that, you know, we have taken care of it properly and everything is resolved in their mind. They're not holding on to any guilt in any form or, you know, resistance in any form. So as long as you are able to take care of your daily chores, even if you are a bit sad, it's okay. Otherwise, you know, it's time to take care of our professional health.
0: Right. And lastly, Ruhi, I just want to ask you, in what ways can we help ourselves while we're grieving?
1: So, see, try to have the life that you had before this incident as close to it as possible. Okay? So, for example, you start with the normal routine that you had. If you used to wake up at 9 a.m., do that. If you used to go to school, do that. If you used to work, go and do that. Even if I know that the functionality won't be the same, even if the productivity won't be the same, as long as you are showing up, it's okay. Second thing is, make sure that you are making some time in the day where you are taking care of yourself. Even if it is as simple as listening to some music, even if it is as simple as, you know, hanging out with your friends, even if it is as simple as watching something, sometimes even going through, you know, some good old memories, maybe some albums or photographs that you have, that's okay. As long as it is not bringing you into those negative, unhealthy emotions of guilt and remorse, it's okay. Just take out some time every day to take care of yourself. But make sure that you are moving on with a healthy routine. You are doing some form of physical activity, some physical exercise. You are getting out of the house, even if it is just once in a day. It's more than enough initially. And slowly, you can, you know, try to incorporate as long as possible. Make sure you're not isolating yourself. This is the biggest problem that happens that, you know, we don't feel like talking to other people. Like we talked about it, you know, people don't have the very good things to tell us and they'll give some advices that hurt us even more. So maybe don't hang out with those people definitely, but try to find out a few people that you can talk to right otherwise just go for a therapy session and also even if you can't go for a therapy session there are so many support groups you know online also they are available you can join maybe one of those many of them are free of cost as well try to be in a community where you can relate with other people who have had some sense of loss that might be a good strategy to begin with and then slowly you can build on it
0: right also i'm gonna ask you a lot of us i'm sure and a lot of people listening do have friends who you know lost their loved ones What are some things that we should and shouldn't say to them?
1: Right. So the best thing that you can do for them and should say to them is that you are there for them. That is the best thing. Sometimes, you know, just being there and listening to them is more than enough. It's not even, you know, nothing else is required. The thing that you should avoid is, again, telling them the toxic positive statements that it's better for the person that they left the world. It's good for them. Maybe somebody, you know, was having some chronic disease. This is what we tell them. So that might not be. Although, you know, even if it validates in your head that, yes, I am saying the right thing. Just try to avoid it as much as possible. Also, Do not make fake promises so if you have actually intended to be there for the person don't just say it try to be there as much as possible if you feel you are not able to handle it if you are overwhelmed try to involve some adult whom the person trusts nicely and are connected with you know take help of some adult person or a professional so that they can intervene and take care of the things because See, the other person is also a kid, right? It's not necessary that they will know what the right things are. But if you know that your friend is not able to cope up well and you don't know what to do next, try to involve somebody who knows what to do. But on your own part, just make sure that you are there. Listen to them, talk to them. Try to be in touch with them. If you see that the person is isolating and not being very interactive, take the first step you go and ask them if they are okay or not try to you know keep a check on them because sometimes social isolation itself could be a very well indicator of depression or you know sometimes even suicidality so make sure that you are in touch with the person and you have some sort of a connection with them even if at least it's you know once a day even if it's just for five minutes it's more than enough Mm
0: -hmm. right that's quite a good episode you know I feel like there was a lot to learn for myself and I feel like even for a lot of people listening because so many of us out there have you know uh, either in our family have lost our loved ones or you know know people who have lost our loved ones and most of the times we don't know what to say to them like I feel like we're brought up in a culture where we're usually taught that you know oh we are only taught to say that oh I'm really sorry to hear about your loss and uh, it'll get better soon or you know I hope yeah. it gets better for you. Which is not, obviously, it's not a wrong thing to say. But we're very limited to the things that, you know, yes. that we should yes. say. It's we're not, not enough. Yeah. And we're not yeah. taught what to not say. We're always taught what to sure. say. What to not sure. say we're not taught. So I feel like this was very helpful in terms of that. And like I said, like a lot to learn. And not only for just for children. I feel like even for the elderly people. Yes. They Definitely. also sometimes, like, you know, in the beginning you said about how they are aware but sometimes they also also not sure about what to say you know because again they've been brought them in a way where you know you just say True. things to make people feel better the, True. the whole True. the whole aspect of just being there for someone it's not inculcated in them True. so thank you Rui, for being with us you're
1: welcome most welcome thank you for uh, having me
0: and to everyone who's listening thank you for listening and i'll see you in the next episode